The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. exactly why I say he's the best running back in the country because I can't tell you another 235 pound back that has the same type of footwork as Sean Green he combines toughness mental mainstay physicality and quickness how is that man not in any Heisman conversation the only back in college football to run for over 100 yards in every game will make it 11 out of 11 after that 75 yard touchdown another nail biter two weeks in a row hello Hawkeye fans this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyesmike.com the Iowa Purdue game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Tom Brenneman Chris Martin and Anthony Heron a very nice job calling yet another exciting football game at Kinnick Stadium. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Chris Green already with a rushing touchdown today. And he just runs over a tackler and is headed for Peter. Is there a better back in the country? Please. I'm imploring whomever put this guy in Heisman consideration. I mean, you talk about a Mack truck. He knows how to finish the run. Sean Green, a year ago at this time, was hauling couches and mattresses for a furniture store down the road at Kirkwood Community College, paying his own rent, paying for all his own food. Oh, my. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Kirk Ferentz and Tim Brewster. We'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference, and we'll also preview the Iowa-Minnesota game. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Green's going to get a blow over on the sideline. First six plays from scrimmage. He's gotten it every time for 43 yards. And Jewel Hapton will replace him in the backfield. Hampton will get it again. And daylight to the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa. Tom, that was simply too easy. We talk about playing discipline. If you're Purdue, you're on the perimeter. Perimeter, you have to force this ball back inside. You cannot get pinned. That's exactly what happens. It opens the floodgates for Hampton. No one in sight, nothing but green. Good play call by Iowa. Purdue can't give up the edge. Eight plays, 68 yards, every single one of them on the ground. The Iowa Hawkeyes held on to defeat the Purdue Boilermakers 22-17 on a cold, windy, and raw day in Iowa City. Purdue's last gasp came on a desperation pass attempt into the end zone, which sailed high and incomplete and allowed the Hawks to claim another win in this hard-fought series. Sean Green had another outstanding day, gaining 211 yards and two touchdowns on 30 carries. With this performance, Green became the nation's leading rusher and the only running back to surpass 100 yards rushing 
pitching in every game this season. Jewel Hampton also had a nice day subbing in for Green. Iowa quarterback Rick Stanzi was only 8 for 15 and 72 yards, but importantly, no turnovers on a day that featured the run, in part due to the bad weather conditions. Joe Tiller, making his final appearance in Kinnick Stadium as the Boilers' head coach, watched his offense sputter much of the game until he brought in veteran QB Curtis Painter, who kept Purdue in the game until the end. Purdue also had two touchdowns called back due to penalties, which was very critical in this ballgame. Iowa's defense played fairly well, but struggled some when Purdue went to the all-out passing game with Painter behind center. There was only one holding call on the Boilermakers all day, while to many observers, it looked like you could have legitimately called holding on nearly every play. Iowa's defensive linemen, especially King and Kroll, were being tackled on almost every play from the line of scrimmage that Purdue ran. This was senior day at Kinnick, and after ending the past two home seasons with losses, the Hawks came away with the victory this year. Players said after the game that this was one of the key motivating factors in winning last Saturday. The seven wins by Iowa is its best record since the 2005 season. As with Kirk's best teams, this seems to be another example of a squad playing its best football in October and November. There were also a record number of bowl representatives at the game, with the Capital One, Outback, Alamo, Champs Sports, and Insight Bowls all on site. Great story. Compelling and rich. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. Prefence is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa men's and women's basketball teams and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. Iowa has now won the last six meetings against Purdue in Iowa City, and overall the Hawkeyes have now won 16 of the last 22 games against the Boilermakers. This was the final home game for 16 Iowa seniors, and senior defensive lineman Matt Kroll started his 48th consecutive game, the longest active streak in the Big Ten, and the third longest among FBS players. Iowa won the toss in this game, and as it did against Penn State, it elected to defer. That's a second state game and the third time this season the Hawkeyes have started on defense. Purdue failed to score in its opening possession. Through this season, all 11 Iowa opponents have failed to score in their opening drives. The Hawks did score on its first possession. Iowa has now scored on its opening drives in six of the 11 games. Sean Green is only the third running back to rush for over 200 yards in a game twice in one season, and Green is also only 106 yards from matching Tavian Banks' single-season school record. Green's totals now stand at 325 attempts for 1,963 yards, and he ranks 11th in Iowa career rushing yards. Iowa rushed for three touchdowns against the Boilermakers. That's the fourth game this season that collected three rushing scores or more. Iowa's defense also held another Big Ten top running back under 100 yards. The Hawkeyes have allowed only one 100-yard rusher in all 11 games this season. In the last seven years, Iowa is now 46-7 when leading at the half and 51-6 when leading after three quarters. This game also marked the end to Iowa's 36 consecutive sellout streak that dated back to the 2003 season. Attendance at Kinnick last Saturday was 67,676. 
And following the game, Iowa running back Sean Green was also named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. The second time this season, he's got that award. Key stats, first downs, Purdue had 24 to the Hawks 14. Net yards rushing, 86 for Purdue, 248 for the Hawks. Total domination there, but a reversal in net yards passing where the Boilermakers had 251 to Iowa 72. Total offensive yards, pretty even, 337 for Purdue, 320 for the Hawks. Possession time in Purdue's favor, a little over 33 minutes to just under 27 for the Hawks. Third down conversions, 7 of 18 for Purdue, 4 of 10 for the Hawks. And red zone scoring chances, only 1 of 2 for Iowa, 3 of 4 for Purdue. Spotted at the 4-yard line, Purdue trying to shave this 12-point lead down to five with a touchdown and a point after. Painter, dangerous throw, and it is intercepted. Boy, that is such a dangerous play. You just have to wonder about that call. Ben's breaking it up. Anger going to scoop it up, and Iowa stops Purdue once again. Time now to hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Kirk Ferentz talks about the Minnesota Gophers. Minnesota, you know, is an excellent football team. They're having a tremendous year. Uh, I don't think it should be a huge surprise. You know, if you look at the team that we played last year uh, in, in our uh, next to last ball game here, you know, they came in with one victory and, and played us right to the uh, uh, right to the end and played the heck out of us. And we were fortunate to win. Not that anybody would mistake us with the New York Giants last year, but. Uh, you know, we were very fortunate to win the football game. They played a, a great football game in all regards, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now. If you look at their season they're having right now, they've had very, uh, a very successful year. And uh, even, even in defeat last Saturday, I think that's a good snapshot of the kind of football team they have. Uh, you know, they, they really battled and competed in that game. It was a hard-fought game by both teams. Uh, it was, you know, a great Big Ten football game, and, uh, you know, they had every chance to win the football game like they have in uh, most of their games this year. So, you know, it's a real tribute to uh, uh, Coach Brewster, his staff, uh, the players, everybody involved in their program. They've, they've really done a good job and uh, they're having a tremendous year. So, you know, that being said, obviously we're looking at a, a real tough ball game this Saturday and, you know, we've got some work to do this week to get ready. Ferentz has said a number of times this year how enjoyable it has been to coach this particular Iowa team. Well, yeah, it just means... Uh, couple things. I mean, it means it's, it's, you know, some years are more enjoyable than others. Some uh, uh, weeks or months are more enjoyable than others. And it, again, it's not always the tangible measurements that uh, make it that way. You know, it's like comparing your kids, you know, you hate to say this one's, you know, compared to that one, but th this has been one of the most enjoyable years I've had. And it gets back to the people that I'm with. And I'll give you two quick illustrations. Uh, you know, one of the guys volunteered his hotel spot. You know, we're only allowed to travel uh, 70 uh, to the hotel on Friday night. And uh, one, of, one of the guys that's been traveling uh, just uh, volunteered his spot for Austin Postler to be there and uh, we didn't have to sacrifice either but uh, we had a chance to take all the 16 seniors up last week and uh, uh, showed them a video that was uh, put together about all the seniors. Uh, and then you get a guy like Mitch King who unbeknownst to me uh, is trying to get uh, Rick to you know, convince him he ought to start and Anton, give Anton an opportunity to start in the last ball game. You know, and that, that's not, you know, it's not for Hollywood and stuff like that. I mean, these are guys just doing things because they that's how they feel. So, uh, you know, the camaraderie, the, the, the concern about uh, teammates, things like that has really been 
uh, really exemplary, and uh, you know it's, that, that makes it enjoyable. And those are the things you can just kind of sense when you're around this this group. Kirk was asked to talk about the improvement of quarterback Rick Stanzi. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think he's he's making improvement weekly, like you'd hope, and uh, you know feeling more comfortable with things that we're doing and what we're asking him to do. And I, I think he's doing a good job. He's he's been running the team, leading the team, and and uh, you know the guys respond to him. Uh, I don't know if he's at his sharpest throwing the football the other day, and hopefully we'll take a step forward this week. Kirk talks about balancing the emotional scale, the highs and lows throughout a football season. It's, you know, I think it just gets back to, you know, um, everything you do, it, it depends on your personality. I really believe that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been with coaches that were extremely emotional, extremely successful, and I've been with others that are uh, maybe more the other direction. And I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to do what, what comes naturally for you. And, uh you know, it seems to be working for them. I mean, they're, they're having a good year, and he's really, uh, Coach Brewster's done a great job in less than two years now, you know, with the, with the team. So, you know, my guess is they'll be more than ready to play again this Saturday. It's the last game for both teams, and, you know, we all get to sit around next week. So I think, uh, you know, both teams will be selling out. The Hawks have 18 interceptions so far this season. Ference talks about the kind of play he sees from the linebackers, the safeties, the corners that allows the team to get the ball like this. You know, they're doing a good job. You know, it's just uh, playing smart, I guess, and being opportunistic. And, uh, you know, some of those things have come off pressure at times, you know, which is part of the deal. And then conversely, some of our uh, pressures have come off of, you know, good coverage. So it works both ways. And Saturday's a good example. Uh, you know, when Mitch got that sack in the last drive, that's, that's because our coverage was really good. Gave him that extra count to uh, fight through a couple blocks, you know, make a sack. So. That was a good thing to see, but it you know it goes both ways. But we we've been a little bit more opportunistic this year than I can recall, which is great. Speaking of that, I mean that's one thing Minnesota's done a great job of. Uh, their turnover ratios that that's a major difference from last year to this year, which is a that, that is a big stat. No matter what kind of offense or defense you play, uh, that that's a key statistic in winning, and uh, they're a great illustration of it. I think they're plus 15 right now, top of the league, and. That's really helped their, their production on the field. And Ferentz talks about the impact of new receivers coach Eric Campbell. Well, yeah, I, I think all the staff's doing a great job. And uh, I'll tell you, Eric's been a welcome addition. You know, and again, I go back, we lost as fine a coach as I've ever worked with. You know, two of the best coaches I've ever worked with in my career, Bill Brazier and Carl Jackson. You know, losing a guy of Carl's magnitude. Eric's done a fantastic job from a football standpoint. And the other thing, so I, you know, he was here the second day of work, and it was like he'd been here 10 years. You know, he's just it's been a great and I've gotten that response from everybody in all all interfacing that uh, takes place, you know, with coaches. So we're just really lucky to have him join the staff. He's been a great fit and a great addition. Turning now to Minnesota coach Tim Brewster, he was asked what stands out about the Hawks. I think that uh, without question, the, the two things, you know, Mitch King and Matt Kroll on defense are just, you know, the two defensive tackles do an outstanding job. And then, you know, I don't know that there's a better back in the Big Ten than Sean Green right now. And, you know, I was really getting good play out of Ricky Stanzi. Brewster talks about the Iowa-Minnesota rivalry. Yeah, it's big. You know, it really is. And obviously playing for the, the Florida Rosedale, the big, is uh, something that's very important to all Minnesotans. And uh, it's just a, it's a tremendous football game between the state of Minnesota and the state of Iowa. You know, these two teams come together once a year, and uh, it just, uh, it's a tremendous football game, and there's a tremendous amount of importance on it. And, you know, the, the, the tough thing for us is this is the third week in a row we're playing for a trophy. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, and, and we've had three, you know, really physical games in a row. And, and this is going to be another one. It's just a, it's a tremendous challenge for a football team to come back off of uh, the type of game we just played against Wisconsin. 
Brewster talks about the health of his star wide receiver, Eric Decker. He may not be 100%, but I think he's going to be close. Uh, he's certainly going to play, and, and he'll impact our football team. Just his presence gives our team confidence. And, you know, that's why I was so proud of our team last week against Wisconsin to go into Wisconsin uh, and play as well as we did with a group of young kids like that. And Eric did a great job coaching last weekend. This week, I need him to play. Brewster was asked whether Minnesota is making an effort to lobby the bowl games for the Minnesota postseason appearance. Yeah, we need to, and, and we've gotten out. We're, we're reaching out to the bowl people a little bit and letting them know, and, and you know, it's a tremendous challenge for our fans also to, to get behind our team when uh, you know and, and let the bowl uh, the bowl folks know that, that you know we'll buy tickets and we'll travel. Brewster was asked what he will miss and not miss about playing in the Metrodome. That's that's a you know tough question. You know, and, and I I played in the Metrodome the first year it opened in 1982, and and now to coach the last game uh, in the Metrodome is is really kind of interesting from my perspective. But uh, you know we're we're looking forward to this game basically because it's Senior Day, and we're going to honor our seniors. Uh, we're going to play for the Florida Rosedale against a really good Iowa football team, and I don't know that we're going to get caught up too much in thinking about the Metrodome. You know, I, I don't think the Metrodome is a tremendous collegiate environment. I think all Minnesotans, all Gopher fans are looking forward to opening up a, a beautiful brand new stadium next season, TCF Bank Stadium. And so uh, we've got one to go in the Dome and, and then we'll get back outside where football is supposed to be played. And Brewster talks about the biggest challenge in trying to slow down Iowa running back Sean Green. I mean, we've got to swarm, we've got to attack the ball carry with multiple tacklers. We cannot single tackle. Uh, one guy is not going to tackle Sean Green, and so that's that's kind of been our our deal on defense. Is we've got to do a great job with gap control. We've got to penetrate. We've got to really swarm the ball carrier because, uh, like I said, Sean's really good. And, and right now, uh, I was on a good roll. They've got a great uh, deal of confidence, and uh, so again, it's a great challenge for our defense. But I couldn't have been more pleased or inspired by how our defense played last week in stopping a run against Wisconsin. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, once again, Sean Patchett visits with Marv. All right, another close win coming down to the last play of the game. Yeah, probably closer than I anticipated, closer than I thought it should have been. But, uh, you know, a win in the Big Ten is a good win. So, obviously, uh, puts them in a great position as they finish up the season here at Minnesota. Kirk often says, it's never easy. What is it about this team, both wins and losses, that there are so many close games? Parity, I think. I mean, I think the Big Ten is, uh, is not as strong as it used to be, but it has a big difference between, you know, the haves and have-nots. I think there's about seven or eight teams that are kind of right in there that can beat each other on every given day, and that's, you know, that's parity in the Big Ten. Do you think the Hawks had any hangover effect from the Penn State game? They came out strong and then sort of let Purdue back into the game? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just a matter of... Um, you know, Purdue's competing and doing some things well, and, you know, they changed up the pace with quarterback. Obviously, we're going to paint her in, gave him a little shot in the arm and a boost of confidence, and, you know, they made plays. I mean, they converted a lot of third downs, and 
you know, did the things they had to do to keep in the game. And so from that standpoint, the defense did enough to, to keep them out of the end zone when they needed to and, and get the win. But from a perfection standpoint, obviously a little disappointing that they didn't, I thought they would win by 20, 28 points and just woodshed them. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is a win and, and that's all that matters. What did you take away from this game in a sense of where this team is right now? Well, I, mean, I guess in thinking about it, you look at, you know, week four, five, and six when they were finding ways to lose close games. Now they're finding ways to win close games, you know, Penn State and Purdue. And that tells you a lot. I mean, it tells you it's a team that's growing, it's a team that's maturing, and a team that's, that's starting to feel some confidence. And, and so from that standpoint, it's, it's exciting. Like I said, I mean, the only disappointment I have is just from a pure perfection standpoint, you'd think they would have beaten Purdue by 20 points or so. But it's a win. Uh, you know, they're sitting in a good position now as they go to Minnesota. And, you know, the great thing is, is they got a chance if they win this game to possibly get a nice slotted bowl game come January. Well, we keep repeating ourselves each week, and I guess in this case it's a good thing. Another terrific game by Sean Green, and he has a realistic chance now to become Iowa's all-time leading rusher in a single season. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I mean, it's a credit to him and, and to the offensive line and, and the system they had. I mean, it's a system that's built for him. Uh, you know, when we had Fred Russell, it was very, very comparable. They just did a nice job. But, you know, I'll tell you, it all starts with the offensive line. The five guys up front are going to make or break that offense. And if you've got big, strong, physical guys that can get to the next level uh, from a run-blocking standpoint, then you got a good chance to be a good zone team. And I think that's what we got. Well, increasingly, he's demonstrating both toughness and speed. How far up has his stock risen with the NFL? Uh, I think a lot. I mean, I think a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, when he does actually test what his 40 time actually is and, and, you know, the vertical jump and those types of things, and they'll compare him to other backs. But from a productivity standpoint, uh, he's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, he, he's a solid player. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be convinced that the Big Ten's a powerhouse conference right now. I mean, it's not the ACC. It's not the Big 12. You know, let's be, be honest about that assessment. So, you know, but, but he is he's doing it every single week week in week out tough physical player so I mean obviously he's got to be on people's radar and he's got to be one of the top two or three running backs in the country right now. Well you've been there with the NFL agents and all that goes with it as much as we'd like to have him back in Iowa City next season do you think he's likely gone and is it your sense that likely it's likely in his best interest at this point especially considering his age? You know it's hard to say I mean the, the, the only thing that, that I would advise to any student athlete is, is, is one just keep taking care of business every single day you know, get up, do the routine, you know, finish out this season. And, it, and the best thing you can do from a college standpoint, from a pro standpoint, from a personal standpoint is just try to get better every single day. You know, make sure he's doing the same things he's been doing all week in practice. And then Saturday, line up and play and then do the same thing for a bowl game and just play as best you can. That's what's going to ultimately help him in the pros is by performing well on Saturdays. Too many guys, they go into their senior season, they don't want to get hurt, or they get in the mode where I don't want to get hurt because I'm going to go to the NFL, and then you start playing softer, and then you do get hurt. So the best thing he can do is just keep playing. And then in February, as soon as the bowl game's over, the NFL does a nice job of coming in and giving you an evaluation on where they think you would go projecting the NFL draft, and then you can sit down and make that decision. But you know, the, thing, the only thing I would tell him is just to really focus on being an Iowa Hawkeye, being a college student in you know, Minnesota that's ultimately what it's going to, he's going to be judged on as he goes, you know, to the next level. Jewel Hampton had a pretty nice game as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a good change of pace, you know, and when uh, Sean Green does need a break or goes down with a little nick or something, and, and Hampton does a nice job of coming in and, and really gets behind the blockers and, and is very disciplined with what he's doing as well. So, you know, it's, it's a great thing when, you, you know, a good sign of a good football team is you've got depth at running back, and we've got a little bit of that there. Pretty nasty weather conditions again, especially with the wind. There seemed to be more of a struggle to pass last Saturday. 
What did you think of Rick Stansy's play in this game, and how have you seen him progress over the last few games? I think he's progressing. I think he's doing the things he needs to do to help lead his team. I think the team is getting more confident in him. He makes the throws when he has to. You know, if they need a third down conversion, I think he's smart about it. He looks for the tight end. He looks for that, you know, that nine-yard completion when he needs eight yards and, and knows where to go with the ball. And, and then also, I'm sure that the offensive staff's getting more and more comfortable with him and what plays they can and can't call with him. And, and I think you're seeing an evolution in the offense as well. I mean, the other day at Penn State, when they you know, have a big play and they actually play action and throw the comeback on the outside, that was a huge play that gave us an extra 12 yards of field position as we were setting up for the field goal. So, you know, those are, those are all big things. It's all part of the process of, you know, another start, another, you know, 55 quality snaps in the Big Ten, and, and that's just going to make you better and better and better. Well, this win clearly had a rushing focus, probably the most unbalanced offensive production of the season. It looked like it was by design, but is that also a reflection of Purdue's defense? Pretty workmanlike by the Hawks. Uh, you know, they, they do, they, I mean, in my opinion, they do what they do, and that's what they're going to do, and they're not going to deviate a lot from what their game plan is going to be. And, you know, they just want to get up and line up and get physical. I mean, I think where you see the chess matches on the defensive side, I think when you had the other quarterback in there, it was a different offense. They were facing a completely different team you know, than when Painter was in there. And so we saw when Painter came in, they had a lot more success moving the ball. So I think from our offensive standpoint, we are who we are. We're going to hang the hat on the running game, the zone, the stretch, you know, the boot, and, and that's where we're at. So, I mean, I don't think it necessarily is a matter of the defense has got to do this or whatever. We're just going to do what we do, I think, and it's up to them to try to stop us. Any particular thoughts on the receivers and tight ends out of this game? Just, you know, I just, I like them. I mean, it's just, I think that, uh, you know, they're possession guys. They're making the catches when they need to make the catches. And, and that's what we are. We're a team that needs to change the field position, move the ball down the field, convert on third downs. You, you brought up two, three weeks ago that we weren't very good at that. And I think the last couple of weeks they've, they've shored that up a little bit. And, and obviously we're seeing better results. Well, assess the play of the offensive line at this point, their progress overall, as well as their play in this game. They only gave up one sack. Just solid. I mean, just incredible. I mean, they, they play as a unit. Uh, you know, the running game, if you, if you really sit down and watch the running game, you just watch the backs get in there behind them, patient, they, next, they get to four or five yards before they even get hit, and that's, that's a sign of a good running game. And then from a pass standpoint, if you run the ball well, then you can set up the play action pass, and, uh, you know, but they are executing and playing at a high level right now. So, and, and you look at any good Iowa team, it, it does start up front with the offensive line. I think that's why you're seeing the success here late in the season. Well, this may be a chicken or egg thing. Can you talk a little bit about your sense of how green, how good green would be without this solid line play? And conversely, how much does the line play affected positively by green's performances week in and week out? They're perfect for each other. I mean, I think one without the other is maybe not as good as what you think. But I mean, I think you put the two together and you got a solid, uh, you know, top five rushing attack in the country. This offensive line is doing a great job of, of you know, it's cliche, but getting a hat on a hat. You know, you can block seven guys you know five five uh offensive linemen tight end a fullback they can block seven guys and then the eighth guy is sean greens and and so you know our seven are doing a good job of getting their hats on the seven then sean's got to find the eighth guy and that eighth guy is usually going to be in the four or five yard range and then sean will spin move it and make the guy whiff or drop the bone on him and and hammer him and then turn the corner so uh it's, it's a combination of they're both perfect for each other if the offensive line isn't doing as good a job I'm not sure Sean Green's a guy that's going to make a lot of guys miss. You know, where there's one or two guys where, where he's good is making the one guy miss and then everybody else is blocked and then he can get to the safety, you know. So I, I think it's, you know, it's a combination of both uh, factors right now. 
Well, when you look back at it, overall it was another fairly solid defensive performance. It was. I mean, I thought Painter did an effective job of moving the ball down. I mean, obviously the interception on the two-yard line was huge looking back at it, but, but um, uh, that I think anger got, but, uh, you know, they, they bend but don't break kind of mentality, and I thought they did a great job stopping the, uh, the athletic quarterback in the first half and not letting them get the running game going, and, and I've always felt like that Norm Parker wants to make a team one-dimensional. If he feels like he can make them pass all the time, then that's going to put Iowa in a good position. So, uh, and I think that's kind of where we got them. They had to throw the ball every time, and, and our defense stepped up and made the plays when they had to. All right, on a couple of produced drives, especially with Painter and at quarterback and the Boilermakers focusing on the pass, was their success at least partially a product of Iowa's defensive schemes at that point? I, I think so. I mean, and I think, you know, we talked about it earlier that Purdue's, you got to be careful with Purdue. They've seen so many different blitzes and, and they've been running this offense forever and Painter's been there forever. So he sees blitzes quickly. He sees things happening quicker and he's able to make the adjustments. And unlike Penn State last week where you could bring corner blitzes and they wouldn't be able to react to it, uh, you know, Painter's good at it. So I think you got to be a little c careful there. And when you blitz, if you don't get to the quarterback, you got problems. And I think uh, Iowa staff was cognizant of the fact that Purdue is good at it. They see it coming. The side adjusts are all there. The receivers know what they're doing. So it, it forces you to be a little bit more conservative. Let's visit a minute about the kicking game. What do you think is happening with Trent Mossbrooker? He's pretty solid all season and then on Saturday, he couldn't really hit a PAT. Is this a mental issue? You know, I don't know. The conditions weren't very good, uh, obviously, but two PATs is not what you want to see. Uh, and obviously, the, the circumstances are unique and coming off last week. But he, he's a good kicker. I mean, he'll get he'll get refocused and lock it back down. And, and I don't think it's going to be a big issue. Well, turning now to Minnesota, it's a big game in so many ways for both teams. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the last regular season game. Obviously, you want the momentum for Iowa. I think it's huge because it, it's the difference between playing a January 1 bowl and playing somewhere else. I think it might be the same for Minnesota to some extent. You know, it's, this is a big game. I mean, the winner is going to be going somewhere very, very nice. The loser is also going to be going somewhere, but it won't be as near as nice. So, you know, and I think both teams want to kind of show people they're ready and they are good teams and, and will be positioned next year to be contenders in the Big Ten. Well, this had to be a gut-wrenching loss for the Gophers last week at Wisconsin. Do you think well, it sets up well for Iowa? You know, it depends on how they focus. I mean, it depends what kind of leadership they have. To be up, they were up 28-14, I think, at halftime, or 14 or 10 at halftime, and then Wisconsin kind of came back and dominated the second half from a physical standpoint. Obviously, that frustrates, frustrates them. And then when you turn the film on, you see a physical dominant Iowa team coming up. It's going to be difficult, but they'll be home. Uh, you know, home field advantage is a big advantage. They do call it Kinnick North, though, so, uh, you know, I'm sure Iowa will travel well and be well represented up there. But, you know, this, this is one of those games, border battle, that can be a toss-up. And if you don't play well, you don't execute, you don't play with emotion, you can get run out of there pretty quickly, so. Well, it's another offense that has the potential to give Iowa fits. Yeah, that? yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a pro-style offense. It's a guy that came from the Denver Broncos that, that knows the run, run game, the zone running blocking, and and then has the you know the, th the kind of the spread offense the west coast offense version in there and and uh, they got enough athletes that they can cause some problems for you if you're not taking care of business so what do you expect to see in this game and what are your keys to the game i think the keys to the game are just emotion if Iowa goes up there and plays with the emotion that they've been playing with the discipline controls the ball you know does the things that they do and then gets the running game going and and that's that'll be the key get get um you know minnesota out of the game the fans out of the game and, and make it a home field advantage for the hawkeyes i think those will, be the, uh, those will be the big important keys that I think is, is just get up early, get the running game established, uh, and then play with emotion.
Going into the final weekend of Big Ten games, the conference title will be determined as well as a slew of trophy games this Saturday. Penn State hosts Michigan State, and a win gives the title and automatic BCS Rose Bowl berth to the Nittany Lions, along with the Land Grant Trophy. Ohio State is at home against Michigan and should have little trouble getting the win and a share of the conference title. That would be the Buckeyes' fourth straight. Other key games include Northwestern hosting Illinois for the Sweet Sioux Tomahawk Trophy, with bowl berths on the line in that one. And in a game where only pride is on the line, Indiana is at Purdue playing for the old oaken bucket. At this point, the Big Ten has seven teams that are bowl eligible, and if Illinois upsets Northwestern, then the Illini also become bowl eligible. Sean Green is both the nation's and the Big Ten's leading rusher, Rick Stanzi is 7th in passing and 5th in passing efficiency. Andy Brodell is 3rd in receiving. And Jewel Hampton is 7th in kickoff returns. Key stats, Iowa's 4th in total offense and rushing offense, ninth in passing offense, and 3rd in scoring offense. The Hawks are 3rd in total and scoring defense, 2nd in rushing defense, and 6th in pass defense. Minnesota is 9th in scoring offense, 11th in rushing offense, 3rd in passing offense, and 7th in scoring offense. And on defense, the Gophers rank 9th in total, 6th in scoring, 7th in rushing, and 9th in passing. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in The Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. This week again, Sean Patchett visits with Pat. All right, well, victory over Purdue, a very important win for the Hawkeyes. Very important because it now keeps some very good bowl possibilities within reasonable expectations, I guess. I mean, I think they still have a chance for the Capital One Bowl because I could see Iowa getting picked over Michigan State, even if Michigan State, which they obviously will still have a better record regardless of any scenario, but I could see Iowa's fans get them the edge on that. If they take care of business and go eight and four, I think at worst they'll be in the Outback Bowl. Why are so many games this season close, both wins and losses? What is it about this team and the offensive and defensive schemes? Well, I think the way they play keeps them close because they're a ground control team. They're not a quick strike offense that's going to score a lot of points. And they've got a defense that's going to not allow a lot of points. So when you got an offense that's very grinded out oriented and very ball control oriented combined with a defense that's very good against the run and doesn't allow a lot of points. That's just a formula for low-scoring games, and luckily they've got enough talent and enough experience to win those close games, at least most of them now. Being around the coaches and the players midweek and post-game, did you get any sense that the emotional victory over Penn State had anything significant to do with this past game? No, I, not really. I, I think one good thing about this team is they do take it one game at a time, and I think a lot of that's because of their head coach. He's great at living in the moment. He doesn't really get too high during good times, too low during bad times. He doesn't look ahead. He doesn't look behind. He just focuses on the next challenge at hand, and they didn't play great against Purdue, but they played good enough to win the game at home, and I don't really think the Penn State game was that big of a factor like one of the players brought up today they only get to play in 12 games a year I mean you only get to play in about 40 games during your college career so it's not like there's that many opportunities so to me it makes no sense to look ahead and I think they didn't play great against Purdue but they did enough to win 
Uh, Sean Green just continues to impress. Yeah, nothing he does surprises me, and I'm going to say it now that if he goes over 200 and they beat Minnesota, I think to me he's done enough to win the Heisman Trophy. I know Graham Harrell from Texas Tech has done some incredible things this year too, but what makes Sean's performance even better is the fact that he has done this on a team that can barely pass the ball. I mean, they're so one-dimensional, and he still keeps doing it. Well, the game obviously featured an offensive game plan that focused on rushing. Both Green and Hampton had good games. Yes, and I think it's nice that we're getting little glimpses of Jewel because I think that's helping him for next year. I think he's getting a nice feel for this. He's going to end up with close to 500 yards rushing this year, and I think that's only going to help him for next year. And I think the offensive line's built some faith in him, and they just know that if Sean is banged up or anything that they can put Jewel in, it's not Sean Green, but it's definitely somebody who can be effective. Well, Kirk said this week he doesn't want to field questions about Green's plans for the future. You've been saying the past couple weeks you'll think he'll go to the NFL. What do you think his current draft prospects are, especially given his season-long consistency and improvement? I could see, I'd be surprised if he lasted beyond early in the third round. I could see him going late first, early second round. I think there's still going to be concerns about his pass catching ability. I think there's still some concerns about his speed. He is only about 5'9 and what have you. He's a very physical runner, so I think some teams will probably wonder if he's going to be able to take the beating, but he's taken it this year, so I'd be surprised if he went beyond. I mean, to me, he looks like an early second-round pick, and I think any team that gets him is going to get a great back for at least five to seven years. He may not be one of these guys that lasts for a real long time in the NFL because of his size, but he's just got that ability to make people miss when he needs to, but mostly he's just a physical runner who, when he has to, can just grind it out and get those tough yards between the tackles, and that's what the NFL is all about. We've seen some good ones at Iowa, but in the years you've been covering the team, have you seen any better? Cedric Shaw and Tavian Banks, to me, are sort of a combination of Sean Green. I mean, the thing, Cedric was probably the most spectacular runner that I've seen. Not, I mean, Tavian, I mean, the most exciting, the most game-breaker, best game-breaker, could turn a one-yard run into a touchdown just like that. And But the difference is, when they got into big physical games in the Big Ten, Tavian kind of disappeared. He couldn't run between the tackles. I'd say Cedric is probably the closest thing. Cedric was very versatile. He could run hard. He was a power back. He carried the ball more than Sean did. Cedric, I don't know if he wasn't quite as powerful as Sean. Sean outweighed him by about 25 pounds. So I'd get the edge to Sean right now over Cedric and then Tavian. In visiting with some of the other players, what's their relationship with and attitude towards Green? Is there a widespread sense of how special he is? I think so, and I think they respect the fact that he's a very team-oriented guy. He doesn't really seem to bask in the spotlight at all, and I think the players appreciate that. I think there's just a quiet respect for him. I, I think they kind of give him his distance. Sean's not the kind of guy. I don't think he, I don't think he's one of these guys who's real demonstrative, and I don't think he bums, hangs around with everybody on the team. I think he's his own person, but I think there's a quiet mutual respect among he and his teammates, and. I think the way that I think the I think they are impressed and they respect the way he's handled this rise to fame. Well, the weather was pretty raw. Do you think that factored into the play calls and, for that matter, Stanzi's apparent struggles with the passing game? Well, let's hope so because 72 yards just is not going to get it done. They're lucky they have Sean Green to offset all those issues, but I still say there's major issues with their passing attack, and if Minnesota loads the box, the weather won't be a factor. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to pass the ball. I think they're going to have to pass the ball to beat Minnesota, and as far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out on Stanzi. I think he made a lot of bad throws, and I'm just not convinced that he's a quarterback that can take them to that next level yet. But he still has two more years, so we'll just have to wait and see. Ferenc talks about how special this team is, how enjoyable it is to be around, and how that's contributed to their success. How do you interpret that? I think he just likes the chemistry on this team. I think he likes the fact that the seniors have done a good job of leading. I think there's a real humble nature among these players that it's about the team first. It's a real team first atmosphere they seem to have now, and I don't think that was always the case. 
And I think Kirk's really appreciating that. He brought up the fact that somebody gave up their spot on the travel squad so a local kid from Iowa City could travel. And I think Kirk likes that thing. He likes sacrifice for the betterment of the team, and I think that's what this team has done this year. The defense was generally pretty good last Saturday, except when Purdue went heavily into the pass, including those last two drives. What is it about Iowa's defense that just struggles with that kind of attack? They had a hard time stopping the Boilermakers, even in those nickel and dime schemes. I think it's mostly because Iowa doesn't have great speed on defense, and they never have. I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to individual matchups. I, I watch Greg Orton lots of times. He just went out seven yards and just cut quicker to his spot than the guy guarding him did. Lots of times Iowa has a linebacker on guys like that, and I think Purdue's system is Iowa has a sort of a bend and don't break mentality on defense. Against a running attack, That's you can kind of live with that and it doesn't look as bad, but when a team's continually dinking and dunking six and seven yards here, it, it adds up, and I think that's it. I think, I mean, granted, they won the game. I think that they, but I think they give a lot to get a little when they're playing Purdue, and if Purdue was a half, if this would have been a typical Purdue team, Iowa very easily could have lost that game because their offense was clicking there. I just think Iowa's lucky that Curtis Painter didn't play more. I don't know why Coach Teller kept putting that seller kid in because, to me, that took away Purdue's best weapon, their short passing game. Do you think Trent Mossbrucker is done for the year, or will Kirk continue to give him a chance? I don't think he's done for the year. I don't think Kirk would do that. I think they're going to really hope that he can come on, but the, the problem I have, though, is I don't know if there's a circumstance now the rest of this season where they're going to be able to afford to put in a kicker that they may not have faith in. If they get way ahead of Minnesota, I wouldn't be surprised if Mossbrucker went in there and kicked a field goal or whatever, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the situation is ever going to allow that to happen. I think they're going to be in a close game Saturday. The bowl game's obviously going to be close. I'd be surprised if Mossbrucker kicked again but it'll all depend on the circumstance I think indoors there won't be any win maybe they'll look at hey let's get him in there for an extra point and just try to get that he's got a mental block right now he's got to get over that mental block he's got to make a he's got to make an extra point or a field goal to get back to where he was and I it'll just it's going to be a very delicate situation to try to pick and choose when you can do that without maybe putting the team at risk Turning to the next game, Minnesota has completely turned around their season from last year. Probably the biggest change in the conference. I would say, yeah, Northwestern's done pretty well too. But I, Minnesota, at least a couple weeks ago now, I mean, they could end up losing and going seven and five and three and five in the Big Ten. It wouldn't look as good. But when you're one and eleven the previous year, yes, they've made some obvious strides on defense. They're a lot more physical on defense. They've done, they've they've been really good at forcing turnovers and what have you. And Minnesota's offense has always been good. Now it's a little different because they're passing more than they used to. They used to do everything with a run, but they've always had a decent offense and what have you. But a lot more physical on defense in the line of scrimmage, and I think that's been the difference. Well, they lost at Wisconsin. Seemed like they had to take a lot out of them. Do you think I will match up well and should have success given the Badgers' success against them? I would think so. I mean, I would be surprised, but I still think Minnesota's going to load the box. And they're going to force Stanzi to do something. I, but other teams have loaded the box this year and still not been able to stop Sean. So if Iowa can get that running game going, it's going to be hard to beat them. But I'm, it's going to be interesting, too, because I, I mean, you'd worry about Minnesota's psyche in this game if you were a Minnesota fan. But I think the intangible is going to be there. This is their last game at the Metrodome, and I think they're going to be real sky high for this. Ferenc indicated he expects Minnesota to try and load up the box and stop Green. No team has really been able to do that this year. Do you think Stanzi has to perform better and demonstrate a solid passing game to complement Green's success? Yes and yes. Stanzi has to perform better. Sooner or later, his inability to convert and his his inability to sustain a consistent passing attack is going to cost them because Sean can't do it all himself. He practically did against Purdue, but they're not going to be able to win this game with Stanzi throwing for less than 150 yards, in my opinion. What do you expect to see in this game, and what are your keys to the game? The keys to the game, Iowa has to be able to run the ball and stop the run, get ahead early, 
take whatever Minnesota crowds out of the game so the Iowa crowd can kind of take over the Dome. I don't think there'll be quite as many Iowa fans as in the past because they've made it harder to purchase tickets, but I think they just need to get ahead early and just ride Sean as long as you can. Are you ready to make bowl projections? First, if Iowa wins Saturday, and alternatively, if they lose at Minnesota? If they lose at Minnesota, it's going to either be the Alamo or inside. If they win, it's either going to be the Outback and possibly the Capital One. I think it's one of those two scenarios. One of those four scenarios, I should say. Any idea who the opponent will be? I think they could maybe play South Carolina if it's in the Outback Bowl. And, the God, it could be Georgia in the Capital One. It could be whoever it's going to be in the Capital One Bowl. They're going to be very fast, and it should be a great game. HawkeyesMike.com. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, you can be a part of next week's show by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And broadcast school has really paid off. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by... Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. Iowa now travels to Minnesota to close out the regular season and college football in the Metrodome against the Golden Gophers in the traditional border state rivalry with Floyd of Rosedale on the line. Floyd obviously prefers the warmer climate in Iowa City and another win for Iowa and the Hawks stand an excellent chance of playing in a New Year's Day bowl game. This will be the 102nd game in the series, which Iowa trails 40-59-2, although the Hawks have won six of the last seven. The Hawks and Gophers are both 7-4 this year. Ference is 6-3 against Minnesota, while Tim Brewster, only in his second season, is 0-1 against the Hawks. This will be another tough ball game. It will be senior day for a Minnesota team that is probably the most improved over last season in the Big Ten and also leads the nation with 30 takeaways. But the Gophers will also have to rebound from a very tough and emotional loss last week at Wisconsin. The Gophers are a pass-heavy offense that will test Iowa's bend-but-don't-break philosophy. Minnesota has an outstanding quarterback in Adam Weber and a terrific wideout in Eric Decker. Expect to see a lot of underneath stuff, 
with the Gophers racking up a lot of offensive yards. The key will be whether Iowa's defense can ultimately keep Minnesota out of the end zone more often than not. For Iowa to win, it will have to be another solid day for Sean Green, in spite of the fact that the Gophers will likely do everything they can to load up the box and force Iowa to pass. 106 or more rushing yards for Green, and he becomes Iowa's all-time leading rusher in a season. This will also give him a chance to finish as the nation's leading rusher. Rick Stanzi is going to have to play a very good game, be accurate in his passing, and limit turnovers. With an indoor game, it will be a fast track with no wind, both factors that should aid the Hawks' offense. A win here for Iowa also keeps all three traveling trophies in Iowa City for another year. Sir! Do you know what I just saw? No, sir. A gopher! Gopher! Where? Do you know what gophers can do? Ooh, better get rid of those gophers. Is that clear? Oh, aye, sir. Very clear, sir. I'll put my best mind on it. I want you to kill every gopher. The little brown furry rodents. We can do that. Aye. We don't even have to have a reason. Do it, man. Painter steps up. Lofts it to the end zone. Incomplete game over. Iowa hangs on to win it 22-17. to 17. But what a battle, though. Both sides, Tom, they fought on each and every play. Good win for Iowa, but you had to love the fight of Purdue as well. Sean Green, who today rushes 30 times for 211 yards. There's no better back in the country, Tom. So Sean Green remains the only back in all of college football who rushes for better than 100 yards in every game. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. Once again, another nice job of capturing the excitement at Kinnick Stadium. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.